They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarashuk. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado... Let's do Always. this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. And welcome, everyone, to another edition episode of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. My name is Will Tarashuk. It's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. And I am going back to talking with actual people. It's not just me and Christian in the studio having fun, although I do love doing that. I know you love it as well. But today, I am joined by a singer and songwriter by the name of Moxie Ann. Moxie is a singer and songwriter from Southern California. She started her own band, The Moxie and the Influence, and has to date uh, two EPs, several singers, three music videos, and has toured internationally for thousands of fans. She has also worked behind one of my favorite bands, an Aerosmith. So, uh, Moxie, you can consider me jealous. We have a lot to talk about here today, and I'm looking forward to it. Moxie, welcome to Talking with Tarashuk. Oh, thank you so much, Will. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun today. So let me just kick it off. Is Moxie Ann, is that, that your real name? Your God-given name? You know, it is, it is not, but uh, it came from my grandfather, so close enough to God-given, okay. I suppose. <laughs> well, I love it. Yeah. I, love, I love the name Moxie. So it came from your grandfather. So Give me the origin story of that. How, where'd the name Moxie come from? So, yeah, when I was a kid, I, I grew up homeschooled, by the way, which mm-hmm. is a totally different story. Um, and now everybody thinks I'm weird. But I grew up homeschooled, which basically meant that I had no social filter when it came to talking to adults because I did not differentiate children and adults. And I was not taught to, you know, what what they teach children, which is have respect for adults. I did not do that um, because I was only ever around adults and they treated me like an adult. So when I was a kid, I used to sass the hell out of my grandpa and uh, just say things like I, I read books like from the 1800s. I came up with weird words and I would correct people even though I was literally like five years old and I would sass him all the time. And so he's from the Bronx in New York and he would always say like, ha you got a lot of moxie kid. Mm. And so he just, it was like a nickname when I was growing up. And then um, I got signed to a development company when I was in my teens and they told me that my birth name, which is Cassandra, they told me that it sounded too country because I wanted to do rock. Mm. And they were like, Cassandra sounds too country. Come up with a different name. You have a week. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, and so I immediately, like we all thought like, well, Moxie, Moxie sounds cool. Like it was never really like, something that I thought I was going to use, but it came in handy. And I started going by Moxie and Anne is my middle name. Um, so I just started going by Moxie Anne and it's been over 10 years now that I've been working professionally as Moxie Anne to the point where like most of my friends now, they all just call me Moxie. Nobody knows my real name is actually Cassandra. <laughs> well, it works. It's a great name. It's catchy. Yeah. It's easy to remember and it rolls right off the tongue. So I dig it. Moxie. It's also like Thank the, you. the soft drink from like the 1930s. So there's always, yeah. there's always that too. So talk to me about music, how you got into music, the moment you knew you wanted to be a musician and being homeschooled, do you think that kind of helped your passion for music? You had more time with it or like what tie all that in together? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I knew that I wanted to be a musician from a really early age. My parents, um, I had, I had, so I have a really good internal pitch, which mm. basically just means that I'm not tone deaf. Um, and that happened really early on for me. So my parents had me in voice lessons, probably starting from the age of about four or five. And singing was always just kind of this thing that I could do. Like it, I wouldn't say it was a superpower, but it was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm a singer. Like I can sing. This is just a thing that I can do. And when I was about 13 years old, I was at a music festival in Southern California called Fish Fest. And I, the Christian music festivals, they always have like the big worship stage and then they've got the little kids stage. And then there's always like what most festivals will call the edge stage, which they think sounds edgy. And it's the stage that they bring the like, rock acts anything kind of edgy anything that's a little like not big enough for the worship stage but not fit for the kids stage so they'll bring all the rock acts there and I was at this Christian music festival with my aunt and we walked past the stage and there was have you heard of a band called Red I don't know if you know Christian music at all uh no I I listen to a lot of music but unfortunately Christian music is not one of them that is okay. I, <laughs> yeah. So I walked past the stage and there was, it's, you should check them out. Cause they have a really great sound. It's similar to like fly leaf evanescence okay. in that vein of music. Yeah. So I walked past the stage and red was playing and I had never heard of them. I had never really heard of rock music. I just walked past it and I heard like heavy guitars and they were like jumping around the stage and head banging and thrashing and screaming. And my aunt was like, Oh, that's horrible. And I was like, Whoa, what is that? Like, I want to stay. I want to listen to this. (laughs) And so I got home. I listened to red. I listened to their entire entire catalog. I fell in love with rock music and my parents are like, they, I did not know this as a kid, but they were like secret internal metal heads. Um, they actually met at a heavy metal church in the eighties, um, in Los Angeles. And so they were super excited that I liked rock music. And my dad pointed me in the direction of Flyleaf and Evanescence. Mm. Um, and as soon as I heard Evanescence for the first time, I kid you not, I heard like for the very first time I heard her voice I immediately thought, oh my gosh, like I sound like her. She sounds like me. I sound like her. And then my second thought was people actually do this as a career. I could do this as a career. And so hearing Evanescence, it became my obsession for many, many years. Um, And I learned like I I could probably list like every Evanescence song (laughs) in their catalog. Um, And then from Evanescence, it branched out and I started getting into all kinds of different rock music. I started focusing on learning different rock music songs. Um, I was still taking voice lessons and my current voice teacher at the time, Gina Saputo, she's a jazz singer in Los Angeles. um, She connected me with a girl who I ended up starting a band with. And then from there, it was just like full send. Um, I started a girl band called the Ravens. And then we transitioned from starting the Ravens into starting what then became Moxie and the influence, which was my original band. Um, and in terms of just like homeschooling and how I had, you know, how much time I had because of that, thanks to that, I honestly did like, I look back at the days that I was just like homeschooled during high school, especially. And, um, 
doing music at the same time. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much on my plate. Like I am working, I'm working multiple jobs. I'm trying to just have a life as well. And I really took for granted how much time homeschooling gave me Mm. to pursue my passion. Cause you know, while everybody else was in school eight hours a day, I got to just like do my work in the morning, took like three hours. And then I had the rest of the day for rehearsing, for practicing, for taking lessons, for geeking out on rock music. It was great. And so that's, that's really where I got my start. I'm glad you mentioned Evanescence because while listening to your music and your voice, the first thing I thought of was Evanescence. Yeah. It's just, it's just that, that, I mean, her voice is so like just captivating. It's just crazy how she can just capture an audience with her voice. Um, so I'm glad we're on the same page there. But do, do you remember, so you started the band called The Ravens. Just hearing the band name, The Ravens, it reminds me. So I'll, spoiler alert, I'm a drummer. I played drums for 10 years through uh, middle school, high school, and college. And in middle school, <laughs> I had a band. Uh, it was completed by accident. And we were called The First Class Fears. And The Ravens was much better. It's a much better name. <laughs> We played, <laughs> we played one show at my eighth grade graduation and it was so much fun. I did get that high, but musician was never something I wanted to be. It's like, it was a talent I never wanted, but it's a talent I'm glad I have that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, you never forget your first show. It's like your first rush, your first adrenaline rush, but it was for me, I was just like, okay, I'm good. I've done that. I'm good. Do you remember your first show? What was it like? Oh man. I. Yes and no. It's hard because my parents, they they put me through a whole bunch of talent shows because my mom, they didn't know a lot about music. Like they loved music, but they also were part of the age where like everybody was making it big on American Idol. Mm. And so I did a ton of that. And honestly, well, I had and still have some of the most intense stage fright I've ever seen in a person. I, I teach voice sometimes now and I taught during college and Like, I don't know that I've ever met a child who was as scared of singing in front of people as I was. Um, So I remember, oh man, I do remember my first show with the Ravens. I, it was also, I gotta, this is a side note, but the Ravens is, it was a good band name, but the band name of the Ravens spelled normally was already taken. Mm. So we spelled ours R-A-V-E-Y-N-S, which is like the most emo thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's, very, it's very like 2006, 2007 emo. Yeah. And that, 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 that is, that's the best generation for emo. It's like the, the best. Honestly, yes, definitely agree. Um, our, we played a total of two shows. We okay. played and they were both backyard parties that we hosted for Halloween. Um. And the first show I remember playing with that band, I think we played like five or six songs and all they were all covers. And we did uh, we did the backyard of our drummer's house and it was this super tiny space. So we didn't have a lot of room to move around and we had to keep it really quiet. And I was I remember just being like so intensely nervous because also being homeschooled, I had never been to a, like a party. I had never been to a high school party. So like, not only am I playing my first show ever with a band, I'm also at a party, which I've never been to. And (laughs) it's all these people from like the local high school who I always wanted to be friends with, but I didn't know. And so I remember 
starting the set and being extremely nervous and just wanting to like turn around and sing the whole time because I was so scared of people hearing me, of forgetting the words, of looking stupid on stage, which I still look stupid on stage sometimes. I've I'm owning it now. But <laughs> but just that moment of I think I got through the first song mostly just like turning back and forth like half the time I was looking at the drum set and the other half of the time I was just kind of like closing my eyes at the front of the stage Mm -hmm. and singing to the audience and then after I got through the first song I was like I can't do this like I need to turn around and so I turned around and I just faced everybody in the backyard and we did a song by Michael Jackson and everybody like lost it and they loved it and I just remember feeling like this is it like even though it's just a tiny backyard party this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It it was really cool. That was really cool. It's always good to remember your first. I'm just thinking back to mine now. I only remember we played Beverly Hills by Weezer. It's the only thing I remember. Nice. I don't. I, I hate. I hated that song then. I hate it more now because it was just. It's just like I love. I love Weezer, but Beverly Hills, like when I was in fifth grade, was the song. Now I was like, the song is this monotone. It's boring and it's repetitive, which is a problem for a lot of songs, but. You know, someone had to write it, and someone loved it, and someone put their passion into it. So there's a lot that goes behind a song, especially with writing a song. You got the lyrics, you got, like, the guitar riffs, you got the melody, you got the drum beat, you got the keyboards, whatever else is in there. So when you write a song, when you're practicing to write a song, do you keep all that in mind when you're writing the words? You do the words first and melody and music later. That's a great question. Every song for me is a little bit different, um, but I've found that for me especially when it's a song like that you can tell this song is exactly as it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I can tell usually the song kind of writes itself. Mm. So typically um, I will come up with melody and lyrics kind of at the same time. Um, Sometimes if I'm working off of like something that I wrote years ago or months ago, I'll try to like formulate the melody around that. But usually I start with the chorus And I'll start with like a very distinct melody that I can just kind of hear in my head. And then from there, I work with how many syllables are in each line. What do I want this song to be about? What, you know, what am I feeling? What do I want to communicate? For me, it's a lot of like, especially because I, when my band was touring and when we were like doing, when we were active, we worked a lot in the self-help um, no, I don't, I want to say ministry. It wasn't a ministry, but like in the self-help movement. Um, and so everything we wrote about was basically just like conquering your fears, facing your anxieties, facing your depression, battling the things that are keeping you from being the person who you want to be. And so for me, the songs and the songs that I'm working on writing right now are all about that message of just like overcoming what you're going through. And that's, what I like to communicate is like, how best can I do this in a way that's artistic, that's creative, that's evocative, but also that empowers people. And so when I'm going through and writing the lyrics, I'll usually start with lyrics and melody for the chorus, because the chorus, like, you know, like you said, like with Beverly Hills, it's like, you said that immediately. And I was like, that's where I want to be. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but I don't remember any of the rest of that song. <laughs> so it's just, I it's usually... just a basic drum beat. Just boom, boom. Yeah. Tap. It's probably why we played it. It's probably why we played it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I always start with the choruses because, you know, the chorus, that's like the essential message of what you want to communicate. That's what you want to tell people. And so to me, that's the most important part of the song. Yeah. And it's what people remember. Right, like you, yeah. like you hear like a dude looks like a lady. We're gonna talk about Ari Smith this po- on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Like they're right. It's like that's it's just it's memorable. It kind of makes sense to start there and work your way out. But then like if if you like if you don't play the drums, like you don't know how to write music for drums. And like I'm a drummer, I don't know how to write music for a guitar. I just know there's six strings and there's different yeah. octaves. Like I also play trumpet, so I know I know music. I could still read sheet oh, music. Nice. Um, so like when you have this. This, this song at the chorus at the middle, you start writing it. Do you hand it off to the drummer and go, make a beat, make it fit? Because the drummer is very, the drummer is like the most important uh, aspect of the band member. No respect to the singer or the guitarist or anything, but the drummer keeps you in beat, keeps you in time. Yeah. So like, no, you, you honestly, have to, you have to lean on the drummer to kind of speak, okay, fill in the gaps here. Yeah, I, some of the best songs I've written have been like directly back and forth with the drummer. Mm. Um, and full disclosure, I dated the drummer in my band for like two years. So I have never, I am not, you do not want me on drums. I am not a rhythm <laughs> person. I'm a singer. So <laughs> you don't want me there. But because I spent so long like working and just co like living life with someone who was a drummer, I know a lot about drums. Mm-hmm. I know how to set them up, how to tear mm-hmm. them down. I've learned that as a singer, if you know how to set up and tear down drums and help, Uh, It makes people like you because no one knows (laughs) how to use drums. Um, But I, so now the production company that I am working with, it's two guys, Jeremy and Brandon Wolf. Um, I work with them on most of the instrumentation for the songs. So typically they will send me an idea. It'll either start with them or with me. Um, And then they handle the drums for me, which is good. I have tried writing for drums it is usually extremely basic yeah, and not it good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's like each line gets like a um a certain part of the drum. Like the top is usually like the the hi hat, like above that would be like a crash, like an X, you know, the snare yeah. drum and this, you know, ta ta titi ta and all that kind of stuff. So you can you if you don't mind me asking, you can read like sheet music for drums as well. You can oh, yeah. read percussion oh, yeah, for sure. notation. Nice. Yeah. No, I did I did I did all lessons and then you know in, in high school we do concert bands, so you're reading sheet music complete uh all the time. Um, I was going to say, yeah. And in high school, my favorite was the timpani, the, the three big ones. Nice. Um, yeah. That was, that was my jam. I remember junior year of high school, we did a melody of the Beatles. So it was like three or four Beatles songs mixed into one. And then we also did another one for Queen at the, the, the spring nice. concert. And I was on timpani for both of them. And I was, you know, talk about a high. That was my high. Yeah. So like, hopefully, one day I can go back to doing that kind of drumming. Look, I live in an apartment right now, so I can't really have a drum kit. But Oof, that's tough. I, I got my bongos. I got a djembe drum over here. So I, I still do a little tapping here and there. I still, I still have my sticks, my practice pad. Um, nice. But one day I'm going to get back into drumming, you know, teach my kids how to play and all that kind of fun stuff. Heck yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm you glad, definitely I'm should. Glad, I'm glad you dated a drummer and that you know the in and outs of drums because with within the band, they're respected. But to the public, I feel like they can be overlooked. Honestly, you know, having a good drummer will make or break a band. Oh, yeah. And I learned that the hard way. It is, if you don't have a good drummer, you're not on time. You're not keeping to the, like, you're not keeping to the form of the song. It's going to set off your bassist, which then sets off your guitarist, which then sets off your singer. Like, the drums are the backbone of the band. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because I had a relationship with a drummer. Like, it is tough. and 
good drummers are also equally hard to come by. So I, I appreciate a lot of the drummers that I've been able to work with. And for me too, I work with a lot of female drummers. Mm. Um, just because I, I think I pigeon my, I pigeonholed myself early into working with all girls. Um, but now I love it because female drummers, especially like they have so much to overcome just being a female musician and then being a female drummer, like they have to get it right or people are going to just talk trash about them. And so for me, I've worked with so many fantastic female drummers, um, more often than not female drummers, I think are going to be quality. And so I work with them primarily and it's great. I, I love some of the relationships that I've cultivated with the local drummers in LA. Awesome. That's awesome. Huh. Like one, one more question in terms of just writing a song. Um, yeah. How does like, credits, how does credits work? Cause like, if you like see something online, it's written by Steven Tyler and performed by Aerosmith. Now like what written by Steven Tyler, does that just mean the lyrics? Does that just mean, um, the like the melody and the guitar riffs as well or what exactly how does crediting work for like when you credit someone for writing a song yeah that's a great question and that kind of goes into um music business which is actually what i studied in college okay um so there are two different methods of credit receiving credit for a song and specifically royalties um music so if you're talking about it in technical terms, the music, which is the instrumentation mm -hmm. and the lyrics are two separate things. Okay. So when you're doing a, like a breakdown sheet of who owns what part of the song, um, the music and the lyrics are each 50% of the whole hundred, you know, whole hundred percent of the royalties or the credit that you'll be receiving from, from the song. So what I do typically is I, the songs that I'm writing now uh, with my production team, um, I typically re will receive a hundred percent of the money from the lyrics and from the, from the vocals basically. And then for the music itself, for the music, for the instrumentation, um, that gets split up between who actually did the writing on that, who did the producing and who, you know, put it in, it, like if someone played guitar, if someone played bass, if someone played drums, um, the playing doesn't matter so much as the actual writing of it. So on, I'm just using as an example, the split sheet that I have for a song that's going to be releasing next month. Um, I got, I believe 90% of the credit for the lyrics mm -hmm. Um, just because I, the guy who I'm working with, Jeremy, he helped me with some of the lines. So I, he got like 10% of the credit for the lyrics. And then between him and Brandon, so Jeremy and Brandon, they each had 50% of the music because on the song that I'm going to be releasing next month, um, they both worked on only the music. They sent me over the track to start with. I just wrote the lyrics to that. And then the way that works out is each half is going to be half of whatever royalties are distributed. So in my case, that's not very many because <laughs> it is hard to make money off of streaming music. But if we were to receive any royalties, I would essentially be getting a little bit less than half of the credit there. And then they would be getting a little bit more than half because Jeremy got that 10% of writing the lyrics. Right. And then typically like you won't see that kind of breakdown, but I fill out what's called a split sheet for each song that I write with them. And then that gets submitted to ASCAP, BMI, any of these performance royalty organizations. Um, and then when it's listed publicly, 
you'll just see the songwriter names, but that's that's how it gets broken down. Like as you go through the system and as you're doing everything legally. <laughs> that that makes sense though. Like the, the fact that the, the, the lyrics and the actual music is 50-50 and it's split up like that, that just, that just makes sense to me. And I was always just, it's like, huh, you know, it's written by Steven Tyler, but there's obviously more yeah. than Steven didn't do all of this. Come on now, please. Um, yep. But there's a lot of the music business we could go into for hours and hours and hours because I have oh, yeah. so much I want to know. But <laughs> you do have a Def Leppard cover coming out. And you're covering Hysteria. Yes. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a pretty solid Def Leppard fan, you know. Pour some sugar on me, classic. Obviously, I'm a bigger fan of Photograph. Um, but why Hysteria? It's a great song, but out of all the songs from the cover, why Hysteria? That is a great question, Will. So Hysteria has a really special meaning to me. And this is a little bit of a long story. Do you mind if Go I ahead. tell it? Floor is yours. Awesome. Okay, so I got married last year. It, this sounds like it's not related at all, but it is. <laughs> I got married last year to a guy named Bradley. He's my husband now. We're still together. Uh, I feel like I wouldn't be telling this story if we weren't. But we met through a dating app. And when I met Brad, I everything lined up. You know, when you're swiping on dating apps and you're like looking for the things that you're looking for, everything on his profile lined up. But there was kind of just like that aspect of like, okay, do I swipe right or not? And so I looked through his photos and when I was looking through the photos, the second one that popped up was him holding a cover of the single Women by Def Leppard, which is off the Hysteria album. Um, it's a single cover for that, but it said Def Leppard on the front of it. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, swiping right immediately. Yes. And so we connected over rock music. We connected over like heavy metal. He is the biggest music fanatic I know. We've got, I'm sitting in our bedroom right now and we've got like Def Leppard memorabilia all over. These are his cassettes behind me. Um, and for him personally, he has always, always, always loved 80s rock, 80s metal, any kind of music from any generation. He's obsessed. And he has um, he has what is known as um, idiopathic reading epilepsy. Um which is, it's a form of myoclonic epilepsy. It's a little bit complicated, but basically he was diagnosed in high school um, after he had two grand mal seizures and it's triggered by reading. So he in high school was basically like, he was bed bound, you know, he was home, he was stuck at home and he, all he could do was sit in a dark room. He couldn't read because that triggered his seizures. He couldn't watch anything. He couldn't be on a phone all he could do was listen to music. And so that was like what really deepened his love for rock music. That was the music that was there for him in kind of his darkest time. Mm. And Hysteria specifically, Def Leppard is his mom's favorite band. And Hysteria as a song was just always there for him. Like it started by accident. It started just kind of accidentally being played during the most significant moments of his life, like it would come on his iPod on the first day of high school, or it would be played during a graduation party, or it, it would be played like in the car on the way to breaking up with someone or, you know, same, like it started by accident and then he started playing it on purpose. So Hysteria, that song for him, it's like, it's his favorite song of all time. It's been played at every graduation he's had. It's been played at all the most significant moments of his life. And it was there for him in his darkest time when he was struggling in his battle with epilepsy. 
And so when we were the, the most exciting part of planning our wedding for me was choosing all the music Mm -hmm. because my, my mom was a wedding coordinator. So we, you know, we planned everything. The wedding was wonderful, but I knew like there are key songs that you get to choose for a wedding. I'm, I'm also a wedding singer. So, you know, whenever we get our set list for the weddings that I sing for, it's always like first dances, the exit song, the grand entrance song, things like that. So I was like stoked to choose our music. And when it came to the song for the first dance, I was like, we can't, there's no other perfect song. Like we can't not do hysteria. (laughs) And, and then when I was talking with my mom about it, I was telling her how difficult it is and was at the time to find a good acoustic version of it. There are a lot of acoustic versions out there, but there weren't any, there weren't any that were like perfect for what we needed because they were all like just a little bit too fast or they weren't the right feeling of song or, you know, the, the, the pitch was off or the recording was bad or they were way too long or there was something, you know, there was always something about these recordings. And so she said, why don't you record your own? And at that moment I was like, duh, why didn't I think of this sooner? (laughs) And everybody had been asking me if I was going to sing at my wedding, which to me didn't sound like a good time because stage fright and anxiety, like, I don't know that the best day of my life is the day that I want to be like freaking out about whether the microphone's on or not. I don't, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You got, you got enough when you play right there, enough stress. You got, you know, the whole wedding. I've, I've had, I have three weddings this year. I've done one of them. I know how stressful it is. So yeah, I can, yeah. I'm not even one getting married. So yeah, singing at your own wedding, that's a big no for me. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do it. Like we all, we've all seen the videos of people like, mm-hmm singing at their own wedding. I just went to a friend's wedding back in March where she and her husband are both musicians and they like wrote a song for each other and played it during the reception. I thought it was beautiful. That's cute. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It's really cute. But also really not for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I decided to do was I decided to tell my husband that we would be using this YouTube recording. And we, that was what we practiced our first dance to. He thought that we were going to be using this YouTube rendition of it, uh, from just a YouTuber. And then I went up to work with my friends, Jeremy and Brandon, and they helped me arrange this track. They came up with the track for me and then I recorded this. And so on the day of when it started out, you, and you've, you've heard the track, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it starts out with that just like acoustic. It starts out with that, which is the same way the cover from YouTube started out. And then I come in with the vocals. And so we started playing it. We start dancing. He's just like, oh, man, you know, this is the most perfect day. Everything's wonderful. Couldn't be more perfect. And then I start singing and he just he pulled back for a second and he looked at me and he was like, no way. (laughs) and he was like you're kidding no way like you how when did you do this how did you do this and I just laughed and we got the whole thing on video and I are everyone knew about it too the best part was that everyone knew about it so the videographer knew like to get the angle of his face reacting to it Mm -hmm. and it just he told me afterwards he said this is the best gift anyone's ever given me and 
it was such a special moment. And honestly, like out of the moments in your life that you remember multiple times, you know, out of the special moments in your life that you're remembering for the rest of your life, that one's definitely, it's one of mine. And I know it's one of his too. Um, it was just, it was so meaningful to us and meaningful to him too, because he, when he was like, and he's told me, we've talked about this so many times. He's told me like, when I was just like laying in a dark room, dealing with my body, like shaking and not having control over my brain and not having control over my body. I never thought that like years later, I would be dancing to this song by my wife, like being sung by my wife and actually being able to dance and actually being able to be around people and, and function normally. Like it was just this full circle moment that was so huge for both of us. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That's quite, that's quite the story. I, I'm sorry. I know it's a long story. No, that's, that's, that's incredible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and listen to the song after this and just, you know, take all that in, let's sit and then, then follow up. So the, <laughs> the, the process of covering a song, cause this, this is for commercial release, correct? It's like official commercial release. Yes. So what's, what's that process like? Do you need permission from the original bands? Um, any legal hoops? you have to jump through in order to get an effect. Cause anyone can just go on YouTube and make a cover. But this is for an official release under your name and brand, like under, under a record deal, et cetera. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So when you are releasing and recording a cover song, you need what's known as a mechanical license. Mm. Um, there are a couple of different licenses that you can get specifically for most um for, for most major commercial releases, you're going to be getting what's known as a me- mechanical license. Um, and that's something that can be obtained through a company called the Harry Fox Agency. You can get it through a couple of other different agencies. I use a distribution platform called DistroKid. Mm. Um, you probably heard of some of the other ones. There's a company called uh, TuneCore, I think. There's another one called CD Baby that everybody knows. Um, DistroKid is like the competitor to those two. It's a relatively new platform. It makes the process super, super smooth. And one thing that I love about DistroKid is they build in a feature where you can actually request the mechanical license through their platform. So they do all the work for you. They will reach out and get it through the Harry Fox agency. They'll do all the paperwork for you and you just have to pay that fee. And then, um, I believe in terms of royalties, when you pay that, like you pay the fee for the mechanical license, and then you're also giving them a percentage of your royalties. I believe the rate is 9.1 cents. Um, I don't, it's all, I'm not making any money anyway, so I can't remember right now, (laughs) but that's essentially the way that that works. And I'm very fortunate because Def Leppard, if you're listening to this, Def Leppard, uh, they are very, very supportive of other artists doing covers of their work. Um, they have promoted other artists. They've posted about other artists who have done full covers of Def Leppard material. So I'm really happy because as you know, I mean, I see you're wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt. Mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin and other artists like Led Zeppelin, they are not as kind to artists who do covers of their work and not saying anything bad about them. You know, it's, it's your material. You have the right to do with it, whatever you will. It just, some are a little bit harder on 
people doing covers of their work or not. And Def Leppard, I asked my husband about it when I was initially thinking about releasing this song. I was like, hey, you're a like you're the biggest Def Leppard fan I know. What do you know about people who do Def Leppard covers? Like, do they get taken off of YouTube? Do they have to go on different platforms? Are there legal issues that people run into? Have you heard anything about this? And he was like, no, Def Leppard like promotes everything that gets posted about them. Like they have done full posts for, I think uh, there's an artist named, I believe Matt Nathanson who released like a full EP of Def Leppard covers and they like did a whole press thing about him. So I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm really fortunate and uh, lucky that (laughs) Def Leppard is so kind to people who want to do covers of their material. I think it just, I mean, overall it just shows like the integrity of the, of the band and how wonderful people they are. Yeah, good on you, Def Leppard. Shout out to Def Leppard. Also, their drummer, has, their drummer has one arm, which I don't know how he does that. That's I know he has, I know he has a bunch of foot pedals, but that's unimaginable how you can drum Seriously. with one arm. But yeah, honestly, I, and I I get it. Like from from an artist's perspective, if someone wants to share their art and like let others use their art and cover their art and recreate their own art, I get it. I think that's very admirable. But some people, like Led Zeppelin, I also totally get, listen, you're known as one of the best rock bands of all time, top five easily. You want to protect that, right? You want to keep some credibility about that. So I totally get it on both sides. But I'm glad Def Leppard is on the cool end. You ever ever seen him live? I haven't yet. My husband's seen them a whole bunch of times. I really want to see them uh, on this tour that they're doing right now. Mm. They are touring. So currently they're touring with Motley Crue, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, They're doing a tour with Motley Crue and I believe Poison. I'm not sure if that could (laughs) be wrong. Poison still tours? Michael's still at it? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that they've kind of thrown some other artists on there. So Joan Jett and the Blackhearts was on that bill as well for Mm -hmm. a while. She was doing some select dates. So I really want to get tickets to that. Um, my husband had tickets. This is the rescheduled tour that's been being rescheduled for the last two years. Mm -hmm. And so he originally had tickets for the tour date that they were doing in LA when it was coming through in like 2020. And then it got rescheduled two more times. So I'm not sure if we're going to be seeing them live yet, but I really, really want to, they put on such a fantastic show. I I would hope so. I mean, they've been around for, they've been around what, since the 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they've, I, they've been around a while. Yeah, but hey, Rolling, Rolling Stone still tour. If you can believe that. Mick Jagger still up there shaking his ass at the age of like eighty four. Man, it's like I think at the end of the world, it's just going to be like Mick Jagger <laughs> and the Queen of England, yeah, like- <laughs> and Morgan Freeman all having a tea party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yes. COVID, COVID did do a good job of turning the music industry upside down. Like, I remember right before lockdown, My Chemical Romance came back and they announced their tour. Oh, yeah. I looked at tickets and I was like, ooh, no. I know. As, as much as I love them. But then like once COVID ended, I was just going through Facebook. I saw that when when we were young tour, and it was mm-hmm. just like all my punk, punk pop and punk rock favorites all in one place. I texted my buddy Chris and I was just like, Vegas question mark? <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> I mean, I would, I would die. But my first actually live experience with music was Warp Tour, um, mm, in yeah. in twenty thirteen, I think in Connecticut, and you know, I, I missed a date to remember by five minutes. I was pissed. Oh, oh that sucks. I saw a bunch, a bunch of other, other great artists. But have you ever performed at like festivals like that? What, what's what's I it, have. What's it like as a performer performing at one of those festivals? 
<laughs> well, uh, the biggest festival that my band did back in the day was a festival in prior Oklahoma, and it's called Rocklahoma. Oh, um, it's a pretty big one now. Yeah, it started as like this grassroots festival that um, a whole bunch of local musicians started, and it's worked its way up to actually being one of the hugest music festivals in that part of the country. Um, I played it uh, in 2016 and 2017. We played some other festivals, but that was like the biggest one that we did. Um, and it's a really cool experience. I would say in terms of music festivals, probably the hottest place I've ever played because it was Oklahoma in June. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Um, yeah. It, no, no, thanks. Not pleasant. No, thanks. Yeah. Under when we were prepping. Too? Get it. I know. Yeah. When we were prepping to go out there, um, we were told by like people who used to, who used to frequent the festival and everything. They were like, bring electrolyte tablets because you will be drinking so much water that you might pass out. Like you need to replenish basically when you're out there. Um, but for us, we hit that festival really hard. And my band at the time, uh, we call it MXI now. Um, my band at the time, we went out and we were just like, we were the only girls on the bill that year. Um, at the time we were, we were four girls. All of us were under 25. Our drummer was actually 13 years old. And wow, we, yeah, we did... I think we were playing Sunday. So we were there Friday through Sunday and we did like just hit the, hit the festival grounds. So we had all these flyers and we would walk around as a group. And when you're walking around like four very short young girls handing out flyers, you you get a lot of attention. So we walked around handing out flyers and everybody was super stoked. And then we did our time in the press tent. We spent a full day in the press tent, just doing interviews with different local radio shows and podcasts and news networks and things like that. Um, it was, it was probably one of the greatest times of my life, just getting to even getting to be on the smallest stage of the festival. It was such a cool experience and they keep you pretty well sequestered from the larger artists when you're on the small stages. But we did have some great encounters. Like I ran into uh, some of the guys from five finger death punch and they were super, super nice. Um, I ended up giving one of them my lanyard because he didn't have a lanyard for his VIP pass. And I was like, hey, here's mine. Thanks so much. Nice to meet you. Could I take a picture with you? <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I mean, playing festivals, it's a lot of work. And now as an adult who gets tired really easily, <laughs> I probably wouldn't want to play a place that is a hundred degrees again, but it's a lot of fun. You get to meet some amazing people. You get like that experience of being a rock star, even if you're just starting out and it's, it is a total blast. I am just, I feel so lucky and so blessed that I got to have that experience when I was so young, you know? Totally. No, hundred percent. I can only imagine. Um, yeah. What do you, what are your fans like? Because the last I can imagine. I can. I can kind of a guess. I can imagine because be, being in those kind of audiences, like it's kind of weird. Do, do you have fans mosh? Yeah, yeah, so we do. The, it depends on the t- on the area, but yes, <laughs> the, the the mosh pitting fans. And like, I was at a festival with my brother. We sing because he really likes that screamo music. So we saw like Baroness play and like yeah. music music like that. The people look very scary, but they are the nicest people, the most friendliest, cordial. 
sharing, giving people. You would ever, you would mm-hmm. surprising. So, are your fans kind of more that crowd or more the pop punk mosh crowd? And like, what are, what are your fans like? We have the most amazing fans in the world, honestly. Will I? Oh, the people that we've met through doing music and the people that I've met and who have supported me and things like that. I have fans who like, I've gone to their birthday parties. I, we have a fan who we met her back in, I think 2014. And she used to come to our shows at chain reaction in Anaheim. Um, She is going to be moving out of town and uh, she's moving to Texas. And she invited me to her going away party. And it's just like, I never imagined they always say that music unifies people Mm -hmm. and that you'll meet so many new people if you're in music and if you're a musician and if you just love music. And I I was always kind of like introverted and a little scared of meeting new people. And I never imagined that I would know this entire community of people who were just unified by the common love of music. And I mean, that's how I met my husband. It's how I met some of my best friends. I, I have a music degree and my best friends are all musicians and, and it's the same for fans of music. And that love of music is so pure that you just, you can see that purity in a person. You can see that love in a person. And also it's the cool thing about it is you can tell what a person's gone through by the kind of music that they love. Mm -hmm. And for us, that was especially true. We are my last EP that I released with MXI it was all about self-love. There's a song on there. Um, and this is an entirely different story. That's a long time, <laughs> but there is an acoustic ballad that I wrote on our last EP. It's called the best revenge. Um, and the song on there is called Bella's song. And I wrote that about my younger sister. Her name is Bella, but she got sucked into the community of like tumblr and self-harm and anxiety suicide depression she struggled with a lot of those mental issues when she was very young um and so we wrote a song for her and by the time the song came out she had conquered that battle a little bit but that song we've heard from so many people has helped so many people as they battle depression as they battle anxiety as they battle self-harm And there are bands who dedicate their entire careers to helping people with those kinds of mental battles. There's one band in particular that I love. They're called Icon for Hire. Um, Pretty much all their songs, at least a very good percentage of their songs is about helping people, is about like facing your fears and facing yourself and becoming true to yourself. And so especially being in that like very niche part of the metal community. We met some really incredible people who were overcoming impossible things. I remember one of our fans, his, his name was Michael. Um, he has, he has actually passed away a couple of years ago, but he was dealing with a very rare form of cancer and he loved our music. We met him at shows. He, he came to, you know, all the shows he could and we communicated with him through social media. And I remember one of the last conversations we had, he told me that our music had made a difference and that he was so thankful to have met us. And he was such a great soul, such a, such a wonderful person, but just like getting to have those connections, getting to 
know people who have gone through difficult things, like more difficult things than I could ever imagine. It's made such an impact on me and it makes an impact on other people. And I just think that spreading that light to as many people as you can through music, it's one of the most important things that you could do with your life. It's, it's amazing. It's also very important to have a connection with your audience. Um, you know, I do a bunch of podcasts. My audience is kind of all over the place. But my definitely yeah. the closest connection I have is with my wrestling audience, my wrestling fans uh, in my Discord oh, yeah. channel. And one of the coolest things I've ever done was bring a fan on this podcast, someone who's listened to me for years. I mean, he's been on my wrestling podcast a few times, but I brought him here, talked to him one-on-one. Uh, Mr. Fretz, shout out to Mr. Fretz. Love you, man. Um, and it's just weird. It's awesome hearing their stories, like, you know, how they find you, what they like about your stuff and all that kind of yeah. things. So I know you had a podcast, and if you do bring that back and when you bring that back, I would highly encourage you to find a fan and just get them on and just talk about music, passion, and all that stuff because it's going to come across as something completely different than like just, a, oh, you know, you have a song coming out. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think we, especially in America, we place so much value on creators, mm -hmm. on people, you know, entrepreneurs and people who start businesses and people who make art and make music and make, you know, people who make things. And I think one thing that COVID has taught me especially is that it's okay to just be like, it's okay to just exist and consume and become a better person and not have to create, not have to produce, not have to have your hobby consist of something that makes money. I think mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful things, and like you were saying about, about fans, about people who just consume what you're making and they, you know, they listen to what you're doing. Those are, I, I think a lot of the people who listen to my music are way better people than I am. <laughs> I think that they are, you know, they've led such interesting, such amazing and such inspiring lives. And I am inspired by people who I don't like calling them fans. I like calling them friends, but mm -hmm. you know, who would people who would consider themselves a fan. I'm inspired by so many of those people and it takes a lot more bravery to do some of the things that they do than for me to just sing, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I've, I've listened yeah. to your stuff over the past week. I've done, done my homework on you and I can consider myself a fan now. So that's, Aww. that's very exciting, but we are running out of time. But before we go, the final question always goes to the guests. Is there anything you want to ask me? Now is the time. If you got nothing, type the thought out on the spot. You can always plead the fifth. What is your favorite band and why? Oh, my fa I love this question. All right. My, <laughs> so my, my favorite, I go back and forth. I love Blink-182. I love A Day to mm -hmm. Remember. Um, that probably would be my previous answers, but my new answer as of today right now is Bowling for Soup. I Yes. I love- I love them. I love them so much because everything about them is just different. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a band that I personally connect with and I see myself in the most. They have a song about Val Kilmer. Like the actor. not. I haven't heard that one. It's, it's the best. It's it's the best. The hook, line, <laughs> sync, and the chorus is there. Like I listen to all their albums and it's just their their randomness, their absurdity, their silliness, their creativity. It's just like, that's me. That's like me. That's like me. That's like me. And like when mm -hmm. me and my girlfriend on the car trip, like, you know, I'm driving. So obviously I have Ivan control the ox. Anytime a bunk of soup comes on, I'm like, oh, who sings this song? And if she doesn't get it, I'm very upset. <laughs> so definitely- Bowling for soup is because there's there's just so different, and that's how I view myself. I'm a different I'm a different breed of cat. 
I'm a different, <laughs> I'm a different kind of person. And I, I embrace my weirdness. I think they do the same. So agreed. And I also, I got to just add this as an artist. It is I props to artists who do not take themselves seriously because I take myself too seriously. I think when in my music specifically, like the music that I make is very serious. And I my favorite music, like some of the music that I listen to the most is just like the most ridiculous music out there. Because mm-hmm. I think if you're just you got to like you got to find something that brings you joy. In addition to feeding your soul, you have to find stupid stuff that just gets you through the day. Yeah, the music's fun. It's it's just yeah. fun to listen to. Like they, yeah. they and they have hit up to hit up to hit. It just it the surprises keep coming. But Moxie, that's all the time we got. Um, we'll definitely have to bring you back one day. Um, oh, I would love that. And we can continue. We can do part two. We'll run it back. We'll do it all over again. But uh, last, lastly. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, your new song coming out, your any tour dates coming up, anything you want to plug right now, floor is yours. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, well, my name is Moxie Ann. You can look me up online, M-O-X-Y-A-N-N-E. All my socials are going to be Moxie Ann Music. Uh, find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, all the places. Um, you can see anything I post through there. And um, Hysteria. My cover of Hysteria by Def Leppard is going to be releasing at midnight on Friday, August 19th. And we will actually be doing a live stream on August 19th at 7 p.m. PST. I'm not sure if this is coming out before then or not. Um, But if you will be uh, hearing this, if you're hearing this before August 19th, 2022, you can check out that live stream by going to my Facebook, facebook.com slash Music, or to YouTube under the Music and Influence channel. It'll be streaming there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Moxie Ann, musician, artist, and songwriter. Thank you again to Moxie for being a guest on the Talking with Tarashek podcast. My name is Will Tarashek. That's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. All my shenanigans can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, you you know, all my plugs by now. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, just like Moxie, make sure to reach out to me at will at APSpodcast.com. That's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. You can be a guest just like this where we talk about who, would, who you are, what you do, anything I generally find interesting. Or you can be on an unknown, unnamed nonsense edition where I have a list of a giant 190 questions and counting. And the man behind the board, Christian, will ask them at random. We have fun. We play games. And we kind of see where the conversation goes from there. Again, will at APSpodcast.com to become a guest on a Talk with Tarashik podcast. I'll be back next week. I think Christian's back from Spain next week. So I'll be fun. We'll be there. Hope to see you there too. Until then, y'all take care.